Okay, welcome to episode 96 look at that, of the Never Iron Anything Comics Review Show. This week, the return of a comics podcaster, scholar, and all-round fundraising machine. It's only Eamon Clark. How are you doing, dude? I'm fine, Tony. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me back. I'm the proverbial bad penny. <laughs> That's not true. It's not true. <laughs> the, uh, um, how have you been? So uh, we're out of lockdown technically now, I suppose, aren't we, in a way? Sort of, way. yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, keeping busy, um, piling up books and comics. So many books and comics to read. It's uh, it's amazing. Um, I know. I got. Yeah. I, I sort of sent you a picture today because I picked up uh, the Steve Ditko shade, the Changing Man, based on your last episode. So, got some. It's mental. Yeah, yeah probably <laughs> mental. Yeah, it's quite beautiful to look at, but it makes little sense, I suppose. Right. Yeah. But his stuff is just so great to look at, though. So, you know, yeah, as it said in that documentary, yeah, you know, just looking at his Doctor Strange stuff, uh, it just oh, does your head amazing. in. Yeah. 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 It was a good one last week. Yeah. Johnny uh, brought his A game to that one. Yeah. I enjoyed that one. It was great. Yeah, I mean, I, long on it and everything. You've done the two giants now. You've done Jack Kirby and you've done Steve Ditko. And of course, you've done Stan Lee. So, yeah. Yeah. And we're talking about doing a Wallywood coming up. Oh, right. Um, okay. So that, should, that should be quite cool. Keep it clean. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was. I bought that. Did you see that book on the Slack? I bought you. I did. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Filth. Absolute filth. Yeah, it's one of those ones. I bought. A, I bought a Judge Dread trade as well at the same time, and uh, I, I picked. The, it was so bad. And you know, I'm fairly shameless. My missus looked over, and I used the the Dread book to cover up the front of it. You know? <laughs> I was really, so, teenager reading porn behind a comic or something. You know, so, yeah, yeah, incredible. But yeah. it looks it looks lovely as well as as well as uh, that side of things. Good. Now, you've suggested something that is also um, full of some pretty amazing creators. Um, and also, you've accidentally told me that I'm a millionaire due to the uh, the price of this comic on eBay currently. Um, what have you chosen this week, Amy? So we're going to look at some Marvel UK. And in particular, I've chosen The Mighty World of Marvel, Volume 2, Issues 7 and 8, December 83, January 84, and uh, they would have cost you 65p back in the day. That's probably what Tony and I paid for them. But don't go looking for issue yeah. seven on eBay because it's now running at about 130 to 150 pounds for your 65p, Tony. Yeah, I saw that. God, I haven't taken these comics out of out of the the bank magazine box for 20 years. I'm going to say right and. Um, uh, I was surprised, firstly surprised to see that, but it's because I've, I didn't bag them or anything, you know. And um, secondly, what a nostalgia hit, man! Absolute fucking straight my eyeballs. Yeah, panels there that I just remember forever, you know. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, there are panels, and there's a one page in particular in here which I is just burned into my retina, as we talked about with yeah, um, yeah. when we did Fantastic Four. You know, panels that are burned into our retinas. But yeah, this stuff, yeah, yeah great stuff. And yeah, um, there is a first appearance in issue seven, which is why it's gone up in price so much. Yeah, did you want to say who that was? Well, that, there is a first appearance of a character, Megan, from Captain Britain and later from the X-Men. Uh, this yeah. is her first appearance, but not in the form, as often happened with those Captain Britain characters that Chris Claremont and the X-Men picked up on. Um, she becomes different. Yeah, you know, she gets a different form later, doesn't she? Looks completely yeah, different. Yeah, she becomes Jessica Rabbit, doesn't she? She does, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, she's a great character, Megan, and she's in a sort of, 
before she, before she becomes a butterfly, let's call it that, or maybe even her sort of secret form is where where we see her in one of these stories. Yeah, we? absolutely. Now, um, how did you? So I'm guessing bought them off the shelf. What sort of age roughly were you, etc.? So what was I? Do? I was very early twenties. Um, bought them off the right. shelf, like yourself. I've had them in boxes for years. All these Marvel UK comics, particularly because. Um, uh, I was following Captain Britain at this point, and um, yep. Cap- this was where Captain Britain jumped into the mighty world of Marvel. Um, yep. You know, the British publication of Captain Britain, we'll probably talk about in a minute, it bounces around a bit, um, and this is where it had jumped over to um, this particular comic because it had just... He'd had a run in a comic called The Daredevils, which I think you and I yep. both loved, didn't we? Um, yes, you know, so. a great comic yeah. had Daredevil in it, Frank Miller's Daredevil in it, had Captain Britain in it, had some interesting articles by Alan Moore when he used to write articles for uh, British comics. Um, so that was good yeah. stuff. And then that folded after 11 issues, I think. I've got the last one here in front of me, um, somewhere on the pile. Yeah, I mean, technically, the um, so if you'll excuse me, I think. The, the storyline we we kind of love here is what I prefer refer to as the sort of second generation of Captain Britain, where he gets he has a number of rights, including Alan Moore, but it's this sort of Alan Davis era, isn't it? Yes, if you see what I mean. Absolutely. Which, which the the previous era ends in Hulk Weekly, um, and then it, there's almost a direct movement from Hulk Weekly a short time later into Marvel Superheroes, um, which was a sort of monthly. Which I th- I'm thinking was the Mighty World of Marvel, wasn't it? Is it was Volume One of Mighty World of Marvel, but they changed the name a couple of times yeah, towards right. the end. They they called it Marvel Comic for a while, and then it became Marvel Superheroes. Although I think they kept yeah. the number in. I think. I think they did, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it went to monthly at Marvel Superheroes, and then it went into the Daredevils, and then we had it into the Mighty World of Marvel, which was ever so brief as well. Yeah, it's quite a brief run, wasn't it? The second volume of it. Yeah. Um, before moving off into his own his own comic. The Jamie Delano and Alan Davis uh, Captain Britain yes. comic again, yeah. only a limited run. These yeah. one they couldn't keep it going in anything, could they? Sadly, they couldn't. Man, it was so weird, isn't it? When you think of how amazing it was to us in the UK, it was the comic, wasn't it? It Captain was. Captain Britain was the character almost. You know, it was it was up. It was him or Dread, really. Yeah, time for me. Um, let's talk a little bit about Mighty World of Marvel. For for me, it was my entry point into um marvel comics was it yours or had you been reading the pre- the Autumn stuff previously no i never came across the Autumn stuff from the 60s that reprinted um marvel stuff in black and white i have got a couple yeah. in the collection but they're fairly recent to me no it was the 70s stuff yeah. it was the 70s marvel uk black and white reprints of uh classic ni- uh, 60s marvel stuff um, it's where you and I discovered Spider-Man. It's where we discovered the Fantastic Four. It's where we discovered Ben Grimm. Um, yeah. It's where we came across probably, you know, this man, this monster, which we talked about at length um, and had such a great time talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was all those 70s black and white reprints, all these different titles that came and went to a certain degree. But um, yeah. Mighty World of Marvel still- was the first one, wasn't it? And the, the kind of, I think the second longest running compared to Spider Man. I think Spider Man overtook it, didn't it? Right. I think. But the so the the, the history of it is um, in 1967 we got a comic called Fantastic One, which came out of um, Odom's, uh, also known as Power Comics, um, and they had a series of comics where they would replace the word Marvel with Power in a lot of them. Right. And we got five weekly titles out of them. We got Wham, Smash, Pow, 
terrific and fantastic. Um, and they had a, they had a mix and match policy around some of it was Marvel, some some of it was not. And they kind of in, in today's parlance, they kind of had the license for Marvel comics. But in um, nine, October of 1972, we got volume one of the Mighty World of Marvel, which, like you say, was the first what we now see as Marvel UK. It wasn't called that at the time. Um, and it was it was firmly under the U.S. supervision of of um, the U.S. Marvel offices and Tony Isabella, who was only a young man at the time. Um, as I say, volume one was my entry. I think I started on it maybe a year or two after it started. I'm going to say, um, it started off as color and then moved to black and white, believe it or not. Did you, have you picked any of those up the early issues? I've got a few. Um, yes, I have got a few. And of course I've got one of those, um, illicit DVDs with them all on the scans that (laughs) that we're not supposed to have, but we all do. Um, on eBay all the time. Yeah, exactly. So I have got the early issues and I have picked up a few of them. Yes. Um, and then of course you, we get all other sort of great titles in the seventies and I've got several of those as well. Oh, so good, man. Yeah, other boxes of them. Yeah, and they were kind of because the distribution. I didn't realise this at the time, but the distribution, and it's in one of the um, one of the the websites you sent me, um, the sort of history of Marvel UK. Um, I didn't realise that they would hold back on American imports because a story was running in the UK comic occasionally, which is quite interesting. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was, um, like I say, Mighty World of Marvel was the start. Um, it, early issues have got Jim Starling, early Jim Starling covers on them as well, which look pretty cool. It's, and it was a real competitive field back then. Yeah, sorry, man, go on. No, I was going to say, some of the covers are interesting because they would get new, occasionally get new covers done, wouldn't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a couple of guys on Facebook now who pop up who were artists on some of these covers. But, yeah, the great stuff. And, yeah, as you say, Jim Starling doing covers. Tony Isabella Jerry editing. Was one of them, I think. Jerry Paris was one of them, wasn't Yeah, he? I think so. That's right. Jim Acklin, is it? Yeah. He, Jim Acklin, I think. Is it, is it Jeff Acklin, Jim Acklin? He's yeah, on sorry, Facebook. Jeff, right, yeah. 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 Yeah, he's quite active about that. Because what they would have is they would split the American stories up into black and white versions of them, but only five pages at a time. So sometimes they would need an extra splash page at the start of the story or at the end of it. And they would get these UK artists who weren't paid a great deal to do these sort of filler pages, which is quite interesting. Um, issue one featured a Hulk iron-on transfer. They were all a rage at the time, weren't they? Um, <laughs> Good luck if you've still got that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and John B. Seaman did some of the covers as well. Um, after a brief spell of Spider-Man having the top billing, so that would have been the Dicko Spider-Man, um, Hulk took over, and he kind of stayed for most of the time on it. Um, he was um, the sort of... Now, this is going back to what Pat Mills calls Hatch, Match and Dispatch. That happened a lot with these titles, didn't it? Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. And we'll hear about the Captain Britain ones in a minute. But the um, like, there was a Planet of the Apes comic that ended up folding into the Hulk comic. Um, there was The Superheroes. There was Spider-Man Weekly. Um, you name it. Future Tense, um, Valor, Savage, and all these sort of things. They had all these different stories. Marvel Team Up and Captain America, I remember being quite good ones. And the UK market had a strange lead on a lot of things. So, for example, um, The Thing was hugely successful over here, um, much more than in the States. So he got his own weekly. And he, I think he, he even got there was like a load of free toys that were stuck on the front of the cover of his stuff um, because he was popular over here. You know, it was, it was a. Was it you sent me some figures through for competitive? How much? How many they were selling at the time? Uh, well, I sent I sent some figures for the eighties when they weren't oh, selling right. so well. I think in the seventies oh, right. they were doing big numbers, weren't they? Mm. 
Yeah, they were doing over a million a month, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, you, you know, there was also Savage Sword of Conan. Was Dracula Lives? You mentioned Planet of the Apes. Um, you talked about, I think, way back one of your early episodes. You talked about because don't they repurpose Kill Raven as um, Ape Slayer? Yeah, Ape Slayer. So yeah. that's another favourite. Where they were running out of because they were catching up with the American market. Because obviously they're putting out, you know, if you've got a bi-monthly comic in America, you're soon going to catch up. And uh, they ran out of Kill Raven, so some clever head just said, "Oh, let's just change the apes' heads in this this uh, this Planet of the Apes story, and we'll just make it make it a Kill Raven story." You know? Yeah. So no, sorry, the other the other way around. Pardon me, it's the other round. So it became a yeah, it became a, an ape story. Yeah, yeah. No, Ape Slayer is quite you, you you can still, if you're a bit cunning, you can find the Planet of the Apes Ape Slayer issues quite cheaply. Um, I found some in the local um, charity shop. To be fair. Oh great. Um, yeah. Uh, Nineteen seventy eight, it became Marvel comic under Des Skin. Uh, 1979, it became Marvel Superhero, starring the Avengers. Um, and then issue 377, so you're right, I kept the numbering, featured the Dave Thorpe and Alan Davis Captain Britain, um, which people forget that Dave Thorpe kind of was before Alan Moore, don't they? Yeah, he's the chap who always gets forgotten, who does those early uh, stories and did the very weird story about sectarian divisions that had to get repurposed. And he sort of introduces some of the cast of characters that Alan Moore would then pick up and run with. And I think, was it Paul Neary who said, oh, I want a a new costume? Because I know you're a fan of the original costume, aren't you? We'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. I am. But yeah, you're right. And it's, um, yeah, we'll talk about that sectarian thing because that is quite interesting. Just a couple of, couple of other facts and figures. Uh, my, my World of Marvel has had th- has had seven volumes. Volumes three to seven have all been part of the sort of Panini run. Um, the more recent news agent, you know, Double H Smith's ones that we see. Yeah. Um, yeah, Marvel, Spider-Man Weekly was the second series um, and that got, um, and that, that overtook it in numbers. Interestingly, there are, these facts and figures came out on the websites you sent me was, um, editors um on the uk base so eventually we we did away with you know this connection with america and we become a sort of own functioning marvel uk office and have you ever heard of peter l skingley uh now is this one of the the women who was who had to adopt a male name to edit a a marvel uk comic that's right yeah so mary uh, sorry peter Peter L. Skingley and Peter Allen were in factory Petra Skingley because they thought it would go down better with the male readership if they had a male editor. Um, and Matt Softly was actually Maureen Softly. Maureen, that was uh, it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then we all know who the famous Marvel editor is, the one that's, you know, appears on quizzes on television, don't we? So um, I think at the time that they launched Captain Britain, it's Neil Tennant of the Pet Shop Boys, isn't it? Or exactly. rather, Neil Tennant before the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is. So uh, that's quite a good. That's a quite a good segue into talking about Captain Britain. Actually, um, had you been a fan of the the first series? So I sort of vaguely remember the mask. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I remember the origin story. I remember the mask. I may even have had the the cardboard mask that came with issue one, um, and uh, I don't remember sticking with it for very long. I think. Um, okay. But, you know, it was really, it was obviously it's the stuff we're going to talk about in a moment that really got me when I came back in the 80s. That was the much cooler period, I think, wasn't it? I mean, I remember um, Captain Britain being um, trailed in Spider-Man Weekly uh, and I think Mighty World of Marvel as well. There was a sort of silhouette of him 
in right. the weeks leading up to the release. Which is what no, you no. did, wasn't it? A silhouette. <laughs> yeah. And Stan came over on a sort of promo tour around the same time as well. Um, but see, I mean, I remember that mask, actually. I remember wearing that mask in St. George's Primary School in Greenford in the playground. There you go. I've got vivid memories of that. Listeners, um, if you have a photo, we want it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No camera phones in. Um, so Neil Tennant was the editor of Marvel UK in 1976, and he came forward and said we wanted some um, original material, but he suggested some war-themed original material. And those that were reading comics at the time knew, would know that the Second World War and, you know, keep keep a stiff upper lip and let's get the, get the Hun was kind of like in vogue, wasn't it? British comics were full of those characters, weren't they, at the time? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, I was reading, or I had been reading Victor comic, which was full of battling Britons who, you know, yeah. um, as Alan Moore called them, you know, Baker Bun who battles the Hun or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really wasn't. But they decided the war angle um, to keep away from that and actually to go with this Captain Britain angle. And Captain Britain 1 was quite, um, quite an event. I remember it being talked about a lot in the playground, as it were. Um, and um, it came out in the thir- on the 13th of October 1976. Chris Claremont wrote it, um, believe it or not. Who, if you, have you ever met Chris, Chris Claremont at all? Well, I was going to meet him, but I was warned off by you, Tony. So <laughs> <laughs> I, hear, I hear he crushes the dreams of young comic fans. <laughs> he does. Um, but, no, I've never met him. No, don't think I've ever met him, no. He has this, um, this accent that I'm sure convinces some Americans that he's English but doesn't convince anyone from England that he's English. And he sort of go. there's a documentary on him on YouTube you can find. And uh, he's sort of this weird accent where I think he's kind of a bit, a bit of a sort of, he wants to be English. You know, he's just one of these sort of characters. This sort of, I know he was born in England. But, uh, we had a yeah, cultural exchange like... programme. Uh, John Wagner was born in America and Chris Kermit right. was born here and we yeah. swapped them. And I think <laughs> we got the better half of the deal. I think we did all right. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's another, that's another uh, pub fact, isn't it, that John Wagner was born in uh, America? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Uh, and Herb Trimpey drew it. I love, love Herb Trimpey. Inks by Fred Akida, colours by Marie Severin, uh, letters by Irving Watanabe. Um, genuinely, it was the big event for me. Um, Larry Lieber was at the time was the Marvel UK editor in chief um, and he drew the cover and Frank Giacoa inked it um, by Captain America 11, Captain Britain, pardon me, Captain Britain 11, Gary Friedrich took over from Claremont and um, Larry Lieber co-writer as of issue 24. Um, it, by issue 24, John Buscema and Tom Palmer, what a team of artists took over and it became a black and white title at the time. Um, and it was cancelled after 39 issues and hatch, match and dispatched into Spider-Man Weekly. Um, it was, it was, it was strange. It was, um, it was so trying to be Captain America, but for Britain, I think, to me. Yeah. So he had, he had the weapon, you know, the special weapon where Cap had a shield. He had this thing that helped him pole vault. His extending know. pole vault quarterstaff thing. Yeah. I used to know what all the buttons meant because you could always find out. There was a way of finding out what all the buttons What all the buttons so, did, right, yeah, okay. One, you know, it's like a cattle prod or something. Um, and he chooses this amulet and his sort of enemy chooses this sword um, and they battle on that. And then, But later on, they fight the Red Skull. Um, the Prime Minister makes an appearance in it. Um, it's uh, Sergeant Fury, uh, sorry, Colonel Fury makes an appearance in it. It's, it's quite an interesting series. It just sort of... I don't think it captured our imagination enough and it did end very quick. So less than a year because it was a weekly back then. It ended quite quickly. 
And they made him, he was a university student, he had a girlfriend that was a bully, his parents were dead, (laughs) he had a pipe, he smoked a pipe. Um, I sent you that picture, didn't I, of the first issue or a second issue where he's he's got his suit and his pipe and he's at university. That's what university students wore in 1976. Absolutely, yeah, very much, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, And then, of course, he's got the the costume, the original Captain Britain costume um, in proud red with the sort of, what did we describe it as, the head sock mask um, and uh, the the lion on his chest. Um, And you're a fan of this costume, aren't you? I am, I I am, from a sort of nostalgia point of view. But didn't they realise that the lion on his costume was also the lion that was used on eggs at the time? <laughs> Captain Egg. Um... Yeah. And um I kind of liked him. He was kind of plucky. Um and I and when the um omnibus first came out, which I think they're about to reprint. So it's the omnibus of the Thorpe onwards Captain Britain, so the new co- new captain costume onwards. Um the I I got the variant, which is the original costume but drawn by Alan Davis, if you see me. Oh lovely. Which yes. is quite nice. Um, yeah, that's that's quite. I think that's quite expensive as well. That's the thing with Captain Britain; it's so patchily reprinted. Um, it's actually quite hard to find, and especially for Americans because they don't understand the English wiggly market. You know. Well, it was. Uh, I mean, it is strange that, or I suppose it's typically British that whenever they brought these comics over to us, they yeah. turned them into British comics, so they became weekly comics with anthologies. So you would have. You know, a bit of Captain Britain plus a bit of reprint of... Uh, is it Fantastic Four reprint that's in the first issue? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they, and they do, you know, they'd mix it up and there'd be some quizzes and puzzles as well, some filler. Um, and they would have to do it weekly, of course, which is why they started yeah. running out of material. Um, yeah. And there's one page... I think there's one page in one of the earlier Captain Britons that isn't coloured. And they, they barefacedly title it this is one for you to colour yourself, true believers. A colouring challenge, yeah. <laughs> Marisa, we couldn't get Maurice ever in to do this one in time, so we're going to yeah. style it out and say it's for you guys. Yeah, that's a good phrase. I like that. Yeah. Um, so Dave Thorpe was actually a staff writer, and he, like you say, he he started it. Um, also quite famous and credited. If you listened, I was listening to a Marvel dot com podcast the other day which was talking about these you know the 616 universe and all this sort of thing he's actually credited as being the creator of that alternate universe theory for marvel which is quite interesting right Um, so he's the one who does the first i suppose alternate world story isn't it um yeah although alan moore then i think alan moore decides that the main marvel one is called 616 doesn't he yeah okay and then that's obviously where um uh, Neil Gaiman got it for the series. Yeah. Um, which was allegedly to pay some legal fees. He did that job, I think. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, the, you you alluded to that earlier. So there was this problem. So Alan Davis, who we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in a minute, actually, because he's worth the whole section. But the um, basically, Dave Thorpe wrote a story where Captain Britain solves the problems in Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> now... It's a bit, it's a bit of a reach for Marvel UK to solve the problems in Northern Ireland because I think we're still trying to solve them. But um, also to have someone called Captain Britain doing it, I think was perhaps a little bit, you know. But if you're looking across the pond from America, you probably thought, yeah. well, look, firstly we can sort this problem out, and secondly, yeah, we've got the superhero; he'll step in and do it. Yeah, 
Captain Britain will yeah. sort it. Yeah. yeah. And and slightly, perhaps slightly, I don't know, blind to some of the implications of that. <laughs> yeah, and the sensitivities of people. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> the um so he leaves over that. I'm I'm not actually entirely sure what happened there. There were I saw a, a YouTube channel claiming it was due to objections of Alan Davis, but I'm not sure if that's true. I think there's these things are never that simple, are they? No. Um and then then Alan Moore takes over. Now, to me, Alan Moore and Alan Davis were, because I was, what was I when they, like, this came out? I was 12 when this came out. They were kind of like my dream team of creators, really, at the time, I think. Because um, they worked on a few things together, didn't they? They did. I mean, the DR and Quinch, uh, they, yeah. obviously they do some Miracle Man, Marvel Man in Warrior, um, and they do this, and it's just like its peak captain britain and it's yeah. absolutely it's alan moore and alan davis in those the 80s yeah. when they were unstoppable basically alan moore could write anything and everything uh, yeah i mean it's just fantastic it's absolutely this is my favorite captain britain of all time yeah and me actually yeah. these two issues are, are, are really interesting as well because th- there's a pause in the action isn't there almost for a really interesting something that we didn't really see uh the other thing he did is he did night raven with him as well yes alan moore wrote of some of the stories and yeah, and Davis illustrated it. Um, so, did you want to lay up what we get? What we get in these Captain Britain stories? Well, I'll just mention the gap because um, okay. there wasn't really a gap. It was Daredevils. The comic had folded eleven issues, and I looked, I checked in it, and it does say at the end of the Captain Britain story in there, next episode, the candlelight uh, dialogues, which is what you get in Mighty World of Marvel issue seven. Um, yeah. And I was so I was chasing the story, which is why I started picking up Mighty Will the Marvel again. And it's yeah. slightly jarring because they've, in a way, they've jumped forward in time in the story. And it starts with these two characters in the dark by candlelight telling each other stories about Captain Britain, one of whom's Megan, of course, who we've talked about yeah. in her sort of. Um, I don't know, werewolf, feral, feral sort of yeah, state. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I don't know about you, Tony, I actually thought um, at the time, oh, I've missed an issue. You know, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. thought... Yeah, and Because we jumped to that, we jumped into an issue, we jumped into number seven of a series, didn't we? Yeah, I and I was thinking, yeah. I've missed something. You know, I've missed something. And of course I haven't, we haven't, yeah. that Alan Moore and Alan Davis have taken the story forward and... I mean, basically, the story that they're doing is this thing called the Jasper's Warp or Crooked Earth or a Crooked World, I think. Um, yeah. And basically, reality has been altered by a sort of demented reality-altering mutant called Mad Jim Jaspers. Who was um, kind... Was he kind of the Prime Minister as well? He's He's become Prime Minister in this. Um, he was a politician yeah. in earlier ish- issues, and now he's become prime minister. And so reality yeah. has changed. And they, I think they talk about it in these two issues, that time doesn't seem right. People aren't quite sure what's gone on. Everything seems to have changed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's there is a pause. It's a fantastic pair of stories because it's a sort of... Um, they've had the previous in The Daredevils. He's done the, the special executive... Um, that sort yes, of so the Doctor Who characters, Doctor Who characters. Yeah. That's right. Um, who were a sort of mercenary team who helped Captain Britain um, fight the Fury. Yeah. I'll just pause to say the Fury. 
Yeah, I love that character. Oh, the, the scare, one of the scariest sort yeah. of villains in comics. Um, and then there's a sort of... This is a pause and a regroup and a shift forward in time. And they sort of tell the story from these two characters relating the action. It's great stuff. But I did think at the time, I thought, oh, I've yeah. missed something. Yeah, to me, it's 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 almost like they're telling stories about the captain, aren't they? About this, well, they are. They're telling this story about how he's sort of rediscovered. And I, I'm like you, I because back you got to realise there was no pull list back then. No, very rarely would you find a pull list. So I was buying this at a news agent's near my school, and um, you know, you, you try and ask a news agent where the last issue was. You know, yeah, um, they're not gonna. You know, it's what's on the shelf, care. or if it's yeah, if yeah. for Damien, if and, he's listening. Uh, hope you're feeling better, Damien. If Damien, if you're listening, they're on the peg yeah. on the string over the counter, aren't they? You know, yeah. Yeah, that's what they had up north. Yes. He was telling me about the northern tradition. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's rough <laughs> it's up north. Yeah, got me flat. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it, so it plays on this thing. So you get this, I mean, really, I mean, oh, fucking Alan Davis came out of the gate fully formed, didn't he, ever. If there was ever an artist who came out, like, yeah. banging it out, you know. The, um, and there's this, like you say, there's this whole page and a half of them just talking and smoking. And then you get this, scene that is reminiscent of um, V for Vendetta in a way, isn't it? So it yeah. pulls back to the reveal, spoilers for a comic that's 38 years old, but it pulls back to the reveal that the two characters telling each other stories of, of how Captain Britain's going to come and save them and put the world to rights. They're in a concentration camp in England. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and there's a big poster uh, of Jim Jasper's that says, in your hearts, you know he's right. They've got these terrifying sort of beetle-like stormtroopers um and uh, yeah it's terrible i mean uh alan moore had his views as we know his political views he did some of this in or he did a lot of this in v for vendetta but here it is in captain britain the pullback yeah. the reveal they're in a concentrate concentration camp in 1980s britain Ugh. yeah yeah it is and it's it's not it's, it's 1984 and it's what would become v for vendetta because i'm guessing he was probably writing that as well at the, around the same time yeah um they're sort of contemporary aren't they yeah um it's also a reconstruction of a character is what I see Alan Moore doing again. So he um, he's re in the same way he did with Swamp Thing, in the same way he did with Marvel Man, and even in the same way, you know, characters like Supreme and in Watchmen. I mean, they're reconstructions, aren't they? The, he, it's a reconstruction of, of an interesting character and he's changed him into something more to me. You know, not Alan Moore, but he's changing something extra, isn't he? There's, there's a whole a whole dimension to him here we hadn't seen before. So it's become it becomes his signature move, isn't yeah. it? You know, he takes the character, um, he literally, in some cases, kills them off and then rebuilds them from the ground up. And of course, that happened. I think in the Daredevils, where Merlin, you know, um, yeah, that's right. Captain yeah, Britain's been killed, killed by the Fury, and Merlin rebuilds him. Um, and I think the episode is even called a rag, a bone, a hank of hair, or something like that. And um, okay. And then he sort of, you know, yes, he he sort of drills down into something about the character, um, and he becomes slightly more than that sort of plucky student who was, you know, having Spider-Man type scrapes with his Captain America um, quarterstaff thing, and he becomes this sort of, he becomes almost this mythical figure. Um, particularly in this first issue that we're talking about. And then in the second issue, he moves back to the centre of the action or he's about to move back to the centre of the action um, in one of the, the the biggest sort of 
build-ups to a moment in in the history of Captain Britain. Yeah, yeah he makes him a legendary figure, doesn't he? He does. He makes him this, and we'd always always had echoes of the Arthurian thing, but we he does build on that as well. You know, he's the he's the great hope for England, isn't he, for Britain to survive and you know to triumph and stuff like that. Um, the um, and also in previous issues that I actually think that Moore was creating something of his own universe to a certain extent. Because we've we've obviously got this cross pollination with um, uh, Doctor Who, but in one of the scenes, doesn't don't we see like a graveyard? Don't we see other characters being killed? So we get like Robot Archie, an equivalent of Robot Archie being killed. We get um, uh, Marvel Man getting killed. Um, so sort of Captain so, UK, who was the superhero right, from yeah. the Marvel from was it Earth two three eight? And I think Captain right. UK's boyfriend was young Marvel Man, and you see him that's getting right. killed by the yeah. Fury, and she has escaped to six one six. But she is because of this experience. She's got she's well she's got what we you know what you and i would now call post-traumatic shock disorder isn't she she's she's no yeah, use she to anybody as a, as a superhero because she's so traumatized or at least she is for most of the story um but yeah you did see miracle man or marvel man getting killed you saw um all these versions that alan moore did of robot archie and garth and i think there's a character called roy the risk gravestones don't we, we yeah roy risk was dan dare i think um, uh, right okay and uh, and also as you say the special executive would come from doctor who comics from doctor who magazine yeah. um so yeah he was building his own little sort of linked up universe what we could have had if he'd stayed with marvel um, yeah, yeah if they'd been nice to him and he'd been yeah. nice to them yeah let's say it that way yeah i did find that rather a weird moment because there's a moment later on where captain britain kisses captain uk and it felt it felt too fraternal to me it was a bit weird Yes, you know I mean? uh, it's a bit like in that Loki series that's just finished, where the you know one variant Loki kisses another variant Loki, and you think well, that's a bit, yeah, it's a bit yeah, strange. There's a isn't few it? people in there's a few people in comics who'd quite like to get off with themselves, but yeah, yeah. It just, it, if I find it quite weird. I remember yeah, when no, John definitely. Byrne uh, did Superman, and they he had him kiss Wonder Woman, and they just sort of said, right, that's out of the way, we never have to do that again, don't we, <laughs> or something <laughs> yeah. like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a shame, you know, because I don't think the Americans grasp, or a lot of the Americans grasp, how dear to us Captain Britain was. Um, and he he was this amazing... This, I mean, we were hanging on the release of every one of these Daredevils, Mike Water Marvel, Captain Britain Monthly. We would hang on the release of them, wouldn't we? And it was certainly something that was talked about within UK fandom. And, you know, Davis was a god over here. You know, know, black and white Alan Davis art is just gorgeous. It's just absolutely stunning. And Alan Moore's writing, Captain Britain in this, this horrible, distorted world where everything's gone wrong, where he's going up against the character who's previously killed him once already... Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I like yourself, the supermarket, uh, not the supermarket, the newsagent, you know, I've got to get there. When's the next issue out? Yeah. Oh, hang on, it's jumped to another comic. Which comic's it gone to? I've got to find it, you know. We were chase, yeah. Yeah, chasing we really, our really hit. Did. Yeah. Yeah, we really were. But then again, he, then he went into Excalibur, and Excalibur in itself is a good is a good comic. You know, it's a fun, you know, for, for, certainly for the first, you know, few 20 or 30 of it it's a it's a great comic you know with even with claremont and with davis on it but he slowly declines into being a bit of a joke i think 
Yes, and there's been moments in his history since then. I like the Excalibur stuff. I like the Jamie Delano stuff. I quite liked Paul Cornell's Captain Britain and MI13 that came out a few years ago. Okay, I know. Particularly the story, there was a great story with Dracula's on the moon firing vampire missiles at the Earth. That was great. Um, It was with Captain Midlands, wasn't it? Captain Midlands is in that, and I think they create create the character Dr. Hussein Pfizer, Hussein, who becomes becomes known as Excalibur and all sorts of weird stuff. Right. And the Avengers. Yeah. 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 Betsy Braddock becomes Captain Britain for a while, I think, Silo. doesn't she? Yeah. Oh, of course she does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, and I really, I, 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 I like him wherever he appears, but I think he, he became a comedy. There was a comedy element to Excalibur, which I don't think, you know, because we've gone from having this like, legend of a story you know it's like a it's like norse mythology but in modern england in a way you know yeah this real sort of there's a real impact to it especially when the fury turns up in the second issue of this you think fucking hell everyone is fucked yes now you know and um and then it became a bit too humorous and he's 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 given up his job now isn't he as i i I buy excalibur never read it because you know but I think I don't think he's Captain Britain anymore, is he, Brian Braddock? I, I don't think he is at the moment. No, he's been off and he's been on sabbaticals a few times. Um, I quite liked all the fun of the crazy gang in Excalibur, but it was, as you say, it's not yeah. the same as the last page of Captain Britain in issue eight that we've got in front of us. Oh, where amazing! It's, you know, he's on the rooftop. He's putting his helmet on, and Alamore writes, "You know, it's it's England. Not that you'd ever know it." Um, the sky is torn, the landscape is raped and raw, the night is curdled with nightmares, yeah. it's still his country. And then he flies out of the camera straight towards us. I mean, we talked about Kirby, yeah. you know, the back foot being in one time zone and the, the front fist yeah. being another. And Alan Davis does that. He bursts out of the panel flying towards us. And he's flying towards... Yeah. We know he's flying towards two characters who've previously killed him. So, you know, oh, yeah. I love this page, as you can probably yeah, tell. Yeah, me too, man. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, yeah, I, wonder how much, I wonder how much those pages go for. Oh, yeah. an Alan Davis page from Captain Britain yeah. with Alan Moore. It must be a fortune. Yeah. I've never yeah. seen any come up, but... Uh, no, I never have either, actually. No. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Alan Davis. So, born 18th of June, 1956. Um, first professional work was in a story called The Crusader in Frantic magazine for Dead Skin. Frantic, I don't know if you ever read it, was a kind of a... A thinly veiled version of Mad Magazine, but oh, right. UK. Des, Des was a ideas machine, wasn't he? He was, you know? yes, yeah. And, Got to keep um, them out, camera- coming out. I remember reading this. So this is no word of a lie. I remember reading this and liking the art. So it's this sort of goofy story, but done in a heroic style of a character getting ready to, you know, he's getting changed into his costume to go out and fight crime, and he gets just shot and killed immediately. Right. And this this is this sort of three page gag strip. Um, he was um, while he was doing this while he was doing that story and doing some of the captain britain stuff he was still working in a warehouse in corby um and the story goes that he was actually drawing pages hiding in the back of vans and stuff like that yeah when he should have been working or on his lunch hour and stuff and is it somewhere about a year before these two issues that he decides he does makes the decision to quit his day job and go full time um and you know i mean so by that time i'm um, well, I was going to say, just, you know, that, that moment for an artist where they have to say, right, uh, Dan Cornwall's yeah. going to step off the bus, not drive the bus, yeah, and he's going to go full-time. moment, isn't it, Dan? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The best success story we've had recently is is Dan doing that, isn't he? And he's saying, yeah. oh, I'll, I'll wave goodbye at the buses. And, yeah. You know, yeah. 
Yeah, no, he's a good dude, good dude as well. Um, I suppose you would have experienced him in Marvel Man, but also in Harry 20 on High Rock as well, I'm guessing. Harry 20 on High Rock, yeah, which is great. That will come up on my podcast at some point in the future. Uh, DR nice. and Quinch, we talked about. Um, yeah, all that stuff. Love DR and Quinch. Yeah. First time I laughed out loud at a comic is when DR and Quinch, they're pretending to be, I think, film directors, and they get asked. He, I think one of them is complaining that the the ants they've been given as food have got Prussian blue coats or coats on rather than another kind of blue. And I remember laughing as a child at that. Yeah, yeah. I bought it for um, Vince at a comic convention a couple of years ago, and he loved it. Yeah, oh, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nineteen eighty-five. He was hired to draw Batman: The Outsiders, a comic that had previously been drawn by Jim Aparo. Um and this was. Um, uh, at the same time as they were doing that whole, I don't know if you remember this, they would have a newsstand version and a direct market version. And there was a couple that Legion were doing it and Teen Titans were doing it. And the newsstand version would, sl- after a while, go into reprints of the direct market version, which then ran onwards. Um, and he did that for a while. Um, he then got taken onto Detective Comics and he drew the, I think probably underrated, but quite a good seller, Batman Year Two. He only drew a few issues of that. Did you know why he stopped that? Did you hear? Or? Well, I've heard the story that there were um, creative differences about altering his covers. Is that right? Or is that one of the stories? Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. So um, I think at the time they were waiting for um, year one to come out so that um, and he was told to draw a certain kind of gun because Batman at that time in, in year two used a gun. That was kind of the big kick out of it, you know. So he drew this sort of Mike Mauser kind of PI sort of um, gun, but he was actually a much smaller gun that I think had been drawn previously in year one. And I think he kicked off about it and refused to change it. And I think it was Dick Giordano ended up redrawing it. It was, Shield that's gun. right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he then went over to Marvel and he did a few X-Men titles before finding, I suppose, finding his home on Excalibur. Um, you can, He also did, he also began to write some stuff. So we've got the clandestine stuff, which is sort of, I'm going to say a bit of a passion project of his. Um, he did um, some Fantastic Four more recently. He's done the Nail series at DC, which is a good one, which is a sort of reimagined Elseworlds story. Um, and in 2018 to 2019, we saw him just out of the blue being a Conan purchaser. He, I opened Conan and there's Alan Davis drawing Conan. Oh, fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and he's done a couple of, a couple of other things since. Um, he appears regularly at Nice, the one in Bedford. You've been to that one, am I right? I think I've been to that one, yes. And I've yeah. seen him at the uh, Birmingham Ice Cons when they had those as well. Um, yeah, that's right. He did a sort of live draw off there, didn't he, I think, at Vix. Did he? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. They're, I know they're I've great. got him to sign some of these covers at one of those. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, nice. Cool. How would you describe his style, man? Is there anyone you'd put him close to, you know, if, if you were explaining his style to someone who hadn't seen it? Oh, gosh, that's a tricky one, actually, because he's got such a clean line. Um, yeah. He, you know, it's slightly exaggerated and cartoony, even when he does stuff like Batman and so on. Um, I'm trying to think, yeah. who's he like? He's like Alan Davis, isn't he? <laughs> he is, <laughs> He's yeah. just, like, instantly recognisable. He really is, man, isn't he? I can see some Neil Adams in there, I think. Yeah, I guess some of those classic yeah. Batman artists, yeah. you know, the Jim Aparo and Neil Adams, he's sort of like, isn't he? Yeah, and I'd also, if you were in, if you were in the market to read, you'd run out of reading some John Byrne comics, I'd say. I'd suggest, oh, go and buy some Alan Davis comics because you'd, you'd enjoy that, like that clean line, you know, it's Fresh probably why style. he was such a good fit on the X-Men and Excalibur, because he had that line, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. 
Yeah. And the other one, slightly on the other side of the track. So I'd say there's some Brian Bolland somewhere in there, really. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see him influencing you know, a whole host of people since, including um, Brian Hitch, actually. I can yes. see there's a bit of an influence yeah. somewhere there. Um, to me, I don't know if you agree with this, Eamon, I find him, there's, he's, he does the grim and gritty so well in this, that, but now I seem to find him, there's a bit more whimsy to his work, I think, since Excalibur. So, I mean, guess, you know, the comedy Captain Britain and the crazy gang and all that, and uh, the playing for laughs, um, clearly, it's something that he was very good at, but it doesn't it doesn't quite float your boat as much as this early uh, yeah. grim stuff. The dark, you know, there's lots of blacks on these panels, um, yeah. and it is a very dark and corrupted version of England uh, that you know they're, they're living in. And of course, the Furies in it and all that. So yeah, um, yeah, maybe as you say, when he becomes slightly more whimsical and comedic later on. It's not so much. Although I know, because the Fury goes into the X-Men universe then and has turned up from time to time, and I know they've had him back to draw to yeah. you know to do that. Um, and that stuff's good. I like that when he does that yeah. stuff. It's a great design of that creature. Yeah. This is sort of an unstoppable, you know... Cybiote um, creature, monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah really good. I, I do... You're right, man. These two issues are forever etched in my memory, and one of the reasons is the when he's discovered in the line for food or something i think yeah and she opens his coat and it's it's clearly um you know a, a parable of what's happened isn't it it's sort of this this rumor that's gone round about what's happened because i'm sure it he i'm sure even alan moore is saying this didn't happen but this is the legend that it happened you know that he then is revealed in the line and and beats a mountain of you know guards he's standing on the top of a mountain of guards as he, he beats them and it's uh it's so strong man you know and uh, from there, from there on, there's a lot of us who thought, right, Captain Britain's our favourite character now. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on there. Yeah, yeah, definitely right. Look at us running on for time. So we're going to do five minutes on uh, on uh, Night Raven, and then we're going to talk about the Wolverine element of this, which is a personal favourite of mine. Um, where brooding darkness spreads its evil wing, the Night Raven stings. So that's Night Raven was um, first created in Hulk comic issue one, the seventh of March, nineteen seventy nine, created by Deskin and Dave Lloyd. Um, early stories were written by Steve Parkhouse. Stanley, um, uncharacteristically, haha, put his nose in and said he didn't like it because he didn't like Lloyd's blocky art, and he was replaced with John Bolton. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, Stan. Um, yeah, Stan. Um, it was. Um, um, he Des says he wanted to relive the pulps, the pre-code characters, and he wanted. He loved the fact that this was a character because he's kind of. He, he's kind of half raven half snake isn't he the, the costume is a lovely design yeah and and he's got this venom that he's, he he brands people with um i mean a he's, bit a, like, he's a classic yeah. pulp hero isn't he masked pulp hero is a bit like the shadow um you know with uh that distinctive but yeah. this distinctive mask and he does that is it lobster johnston who does the sort of lobster mark on people he just like you know he's, that's right yeah he yeah. used to do that and uh and he turns it, up um it was initially Go on, mate. Sorry. I was going to say, he turns up in these two issues in text stories with Alan, Alan Davis illustrations, doesn't he? Yeah, so some are written by Alan Moore and some are written by Jamie Delano, aren't they, I think? Yeah. Um, some of these text stories. And they're pretty cool. I reread one of them yesterday and enjoyed it. Um, yeah, they're nice little stories. He kind of skips about between being a pulp character within a comic book, so having an illustrated story, pro story, to there are comic strips about him. Um, 
He's kind of, to me, uh, he's appeared in a number of, he's appeared in Savage Action, The Daredevils, Marvel Superheroes, Mike World of Marvel and Captain Britain Volume 2. Um, they changed him from the 1920s, 1930s to the modern day at one point because um, I think Stan wanted it. <laughs> um, and um, he appears in one panel of that J. Michael Straczynski book, Chris Weston did called The Twelve. Yes, um, if that's right. That. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Um, he's an interesting character, so kind of forgotten. You know, he's one of the, you know, much lower down the totem pole than, you know, Captain Britain or even Union Jack or something like that. He's sort of a little bit, you know, could do with a... You, there's some clever um, Marvel writer who'll go, oh, what about Night Raven? We could use that, isn't there? You know, I'm hoping for one day. I'd like that. So I'd like to see. If there was yeah. a Night Raven comic coming out, I would get on it. I would. Uh, you yeah, tell too. me about yeah. it and I would yeah, get yeah. it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a quick mention of the the fan. There's so it's not just a comic. This this is it. It's um it's designed for fandom. My world of Marvel, as was Daredevils. So Daredevils, to a bigger extent, I think, was a mixture of strips and um, articles and even like three page three panel gag strips by Dick Howlett um, and that sort of thing as well. But the, in this one, they they retain an, an element of it. So we get um, a letters column. Um, big shout out to Steve Tanner, um, who I spotted in Daredevils 15. There you go. Um, yeah. He did a, he did a story currently with a Kickstarter at the moment called Bomb Scares number three. He sent it to me the other day. Looks very good. Um, uh, do you know Steve at all? No, I mean, I, I think he, didn't he organize or help organize the, um, John Burns interview for me, possibly, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, he's a nice guy. He's always recognizable because he wears these sort of elaborate, coats that look like they're from shanghai or something oh very good yeah yeah he's he's, he's a top bloke and i messaged him this morning I, I copied you in didn't i the uh yeah i said it's just you steve and he went oh yeah that is me and and the same thing with martin gray who's um just a guy i know from twitter really and i found he's in one of these comics and i messaged him and said is this you martin he said yeah that's me he's just a bit bored as a teenager so he used to write these letters that's excellent yeah i did see on his twitter that he was on holiday otherwise i was very tempted to get him to read it out into an audio file and send it to us for inclusion uh, so, well remind me um, about my yeah, letter so, page story at some point oh i love your letter page story yeah <laughs> that's good yeah because <laughs> you didn't know it happened did you did i you didn't know that? it happened yeah <laughs> I didn't know it had been published until, uh, what, how many years later? 45 years later or something. Fucking hell. I know. Was Tomb of Dracula, was it? It was in Dracula Lives, issue Dracula 32. Lives. Yeah, I wrote, as a as a sort of 13-year-old, I wrote to uh, Marvel UK, and they published it in the one title that I wasn't getting. <laughs> and I didn't know about it until somebody showed me, you know, sent it to me a few years, a couple of years ago. Another podcaster yeah. sent it to me and said, "Is this you?" And blimey, it is me. And so, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I did. I I used to write letters into this fanzine at the time, and uh, I'm not telling you what it is because the letters are fucking so embarrassing. Yeah. The uh, you know I'm trying to, I'm trying to be cool, you know. And it was run by the comic shop that I used to go to this fanzine, and uh, they didn't know it was me because I didn't speak to a to you know back back then you were scared to speak to people in comic shops because yeah. they just shout at you for not knowing who who Steve Gerber was or something you know when you were t- you when you were twelve and I wrote these letters in and uh, they appeared in the, every one of these and they nobody knew who it was and I try I thought oh, I forgot I haven't got those issues so I bought them back off eBay and was I'm still red in the face now thinking about how terrible. <laughs> <they are. laughs> and of course we get fanzine reviews in this yes. uh, these two issues don't we. Yeah, which is great. Some by Frank Plowright, some by some other people, aren't they? Yeah. Um, 
and we had a chat about Frank before, and Frank was a big, big news on the scene. You know, it was a big, big part of British fandom, and I remember seeing him introduce guests at UCAC over the years and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and they also um, they have some other stuff in there. So they have a for sale section, um, which was a bit disappointed. I, I've forgotten they don't have prices on them, do they? These for sales, they're just like I've got these issues of Spider Man, and you know. So you'd have com- it was Comic yeah. Mart. It's a page, and it's got you'd list yeah. your wants and your your gots. I've got these for to, to exchange, and I want these ones. And you'd put yeah. your full name and address in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all these letters and Comic Marts have got your full name and address in there. And yeah. we were all doxing ourselves back in the day, weren't we? Yeah, I think it would be easy to cancel people back then, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also some. I've, I've sent you before we started. I didn't read these when they came out, and I didn't read them when I <laughs> ready for the other skimmer. So we've got Albert the Mouse by John Jackson, which is a sort of, I'm guessing they got these for free, you know. They're well, like fan comics, aren't they? Again, in an anthology, a weekly anthology, you're the editor. I think it's monthly at this point, but, you know, a monthly anthology, you're the editor. You need some low-calorie, cheap filler. So you've got a letters yeah. page, you've got a comment march, you've got somebody to do some fanzine reviews, and then you've got these little—I don't know what would you call them. It's even less than small press little strips that somebody's yeah. done. Um, that again, at the time, we just we just flicked straight past those, didn't we? I mean, you and I have looked at them in detail now, but at the time, just like no, nope, yeah. next page, it's got Night Raven on it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm going to go back and read that Captain Britain story. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So they had that as well as little filler. Um, so there was a community feel to it. There really was. Um, it, it harks back to do you remember the arts, the art that was sent into 2000 AD back in the day as well? The you know? readers' art submissions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's an easy way to fill a page, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you've got to... I mean, again, you've got to have some of this stuff that just fills the pages, um, including some of the... You know, a quiz. There was always a quiz, wasn't there? Although, <laughs> yeah, you know... mastermind. Yeah. yeah. Um, you might steal some of the questions for the Christmas quiz. But, you know, um, yeah, there was a quiz. Um, I'm not sure the age of the readership was actually that bothered about the quizzes, actually. We wanted the story, didn't No, we? I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, man. And um, the other, the other big story that we haven't spoken about that is that is in these is um, the Wolverine story. Um, so this is the uh, Wolverine um, from 1982, the four issue miniseries, um, published initially in the in the the US. Um, the cover, the the covers of these two issues are a kind of jam piece, and and partly represent the covers from the miniseries. But the um, Chris Claremont was the writer, Frank Miller was the penciler, Joseph Rubenstein was finishes, um, interesting finishes, and we'll talk about that in a second. Tom Wozniczowski did letters, Glennis Ween, Len's good lady wife did color, was a colorist, and Louise Jones, the cool, uh, who is now Louise Simonson, is was the editor. And um, I'm going to say this: this was as good for me as Captain Britain was. I was absolutely entranced by this story, and I bought it in four different versions. Um, this story, I absolutely love it. So this is peak Wolverine, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it really in is. these two issues, we will get reprints of, is it the third and fourth issue of the four-issue miniseries? Yes, it is. Yeah. That's right. So we'll yeah. get we'll get all of issue three and four of that miniseries, and it's absolutely, it's peak Wolverine, it's peak Claremont, it's probably sort of like peak Frank Miller in a way, isn't it? This is the miniseries is. that yeah. probably... Would you say more than anything else, sort of like establish the Wolverine legend? You know, he becomes 
this incredibly yeah. complex character with a backstory. Yeah, and all the... so I agree completely. And it's um, it goes, it's it's very. I think it's Claremont's best writing for me. Yeah, and I'm I enjoy his writing. And before this, we had seen Wolverine. He'd had this um, sort of genesis from being this character with claws in the Hulk. We didn't really know who he was. Through to a character in the Uncanny, through to the um, the famous scene in the sewers, through to this, you know, and the love he had for Jean Grey. And this is post that. So this is post Burn on um, on Uncanny, and it, this spins out into, the, into this miniseries. And I saw someone commenting on um, I think it was Ted Mc, not Ted McKeever, I can't remember Sean McKeever saying on on Twitter today, why is it that it's only Wolverine miniseries or solo series that stick for the X Men? Yeah, and he's right, you know, it is, but. Maybe because Wolverine's a loner, but in this, the main, the it's the perfect mini for me. It's, it's perfection in four issues. It tells an amazing story, and it show it takes him from being a beast to being a man, and which is a, a is signified in the the attitude of these sort of Japanese samurai struck noblemen, struck businessmen, in their attitude towards this beast, and how dare he be in a relations with Mariko, who's one of their daughters, um, and. It's Claremont tells it from a point of view of an inner monologue. So we get a monologue, don't we, from him um, in a lot of it. And um, it's, it establishes him and cements him in my mind, I don't know for you, as a sort of a noble man, you know, this solitary warrior um, and a man behind the beast. And he's a stranger and considered a lower, lower animal, has to prove himself in this, and he's a stranger in a strange land. And it's, it's beautifully told. Miller, Miller and Rubenstein are just lovely in this together, you know. So it's fantastic. I mean, Wolverine in Japan, um, yeah. we talked about that single X-Men issue with Wolverine where he, be, you know, he reverts. He's so badly injured that he reverts to his sort of bestial stealth for a while until Katie yeah. Power puts him back together again or helps him. Yeah. Um, and in this one, he get, as you say, he, this is where he, he rises above his sort of savage origins and becomes this very noble figure. He becomes almost like... Because yeah. the, the, in these issues, you get those sort of... Um, the story of the samurai, don't you? Um, yeah. and, and it ends in that classic... Claremont and Miller thing, which is a battle between Wolverine and the bad guy that becomes wordless and just becomes fight choreography. And yeah, it's just yeah. so good. Um, but everything on there is, you know, as you say, the, the finishes by Joseph Rubinstein, the colours, and it's just, it's one of the all time great Wolverine battles, isn't it? Yeah, I can still remember to this day reading that last page. You know, in in for those that haven't seen it, in the last page, he kind of there's this kind of sort of moment of well, not last page because he ends up writing a letter to the X Men, but there's this sort of moment where he's just he's done with the battle, you know, yeah. and he considers it. He says, "I am worthy," and it's yeah, it's so beautiful. And it leads into you know we get Wolverine versus um, Ninja. You know, it's for those that haven't read this. It's the second Wolverine movie, in a way. But better. Um, but much better, yeah. Yeah. It um, is, I mean, I, and this one is very easy to get hold of, thankfully, the four-issue miniseries. Yeah. As you say, you've got four different versions of it. Um, I've got it digitally as well. I've got the original issues as well. Um, it's very oh, easy nice. to get hold of this and to read it. And it is, if you want an 80s Wolverine comic with Claremont, Miller, Rubenstein, all doing their best work... Um, it's fantastic, isn't it? 
It really is, man. I was watching an interview with with Miller on on uh, YouTube today, and he was talking about this. And he's he's interesting, Miller. He's I put I put him and more adjacent. You know, I think they're both clever storytellers. They're they're both in different ways. You know, but they're the, the two um, guys who sort of redefined comics in the eighties. The pair of them, they really are, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Miller said, if you manage to slow the reader down. You've mastered the art of comics, and he does that so well in this series. You know, we get these quiet moments, um, and in the same interview, he talks about the vertical world of the city, and he says he loves that, and that's very evident in this. You know, when he goes to that apartment that is far better off. You know, that whoever is this secret agent should not, or police officer should not have that apartment because he lives in this sort of, mm-hmm. you know, luxury thing. Um, and and he was, you also see it in Sin City, and you see it in Daredevil, and you see it especially in Ronin. You know, he plays with the vertical of this of this story, and 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 the the sort of he it's not as packed in as we'd previously seen with his Daredevil. They Rubenstein and him take a breath, don't they? And they they allow single or two two images on a page, and they stack images with dark backgrounds. And yeah, really good. He says, uh, as, I, like, I like this quote from Miller. He says, "Drawing is architectural, and I agree with Eisner. Inking is sexy." <laughs> I think that's just a great little phrase. Yeah, and I, I don't think I'd ever seen you know them do things with the panels and Wolverine crashing out of glass windows at the top oh. of a city. Um, I, you sent me an image, I think you know, of Wolverine crashing through a window surrounded by the, the ninjas and everything, and it's just. You know, again, this stuff is burned on our retinas, uh, but yeah. it's all of it. And of course, Lynn Varley was colouring it, wasn't it? Miss, it was, you know, didn't she become Mrs. Miller for a while? I think it's Glynis Wayne, wasn't it? Glynis Wayne on this one, but she oh, did right. certainly colour him on other stuff. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. She certainly, yeah, she became Mrs. Miller for a long time. Yeah, or I'm sure she was yeah. Miss Miller or whatever. But yeah, the uh, Joseph Rubenstein's an interesting guy. <laughs> born fourth uh, of June 1958, born in Germany, brought up in the US. Um, no, primarily as an inker, but also holds the record for drawing the most Marvel characters because he drew a load of the characters for the A Hot Moon. The Marvel Guide to the Universe, you know that. Oh right, yes, yeah. Um, started working as an assistant for Neil Adams and Dick Giordano at Continuity Studios. Um, is in he, he also edited Michael inked uh, Michael Golden on Micronauts. He inked Stalin's Warlock. So fucking hell, you know, he's one of these guys. You know, it's a bit like Al Milgram, one of these guys who's like in the DNA somewhere of Marvel. I think you know. Um, in 2016, he was inducted into the Joe Sinner Inkwell Hall of Fame. Um, I met him at New York and I was with a buddy and I was pointing down saying, oh, that's Joe Rubinson. And I was pointing at um, some of the, the art he had on his table. And he goes, we pointing at each <laughs> I was sort of up on these steps on this sort of this platform, just thinking, "What are you shouting? What, what are you pointing at?" He goes, oh, "Okay, so I, oh, I better go down and speak to you." So, oh, Mr. Rubenstein, you know, like and he was super nice. Oh, good. And he, he gave us like restaurant recommendations, you know, this sort of thing. And I bought a couple of prints off him oh, too badly. Thank goodness. But yeah, it was he was super nice. Yeah, so it was good. Good stuff, man. Yeah, I mean, what a fucking anthology, you know. So, Wolverine, Night Raven, and some of the best Captain Britain you'll ever read, um, plus some uh, fillerish filler stuff in there as well, which we've sort of talked about. But yeah, I mean, Albert the Mouse, yeah, Albert the Mouse. But it's great. I mean, the Mighty Will the Marvel featuring Daredevils um, because they'd hatch matched and oh, 
they'd hatch match and dispatched. Uh, but yeah, honestly, it's it's peak yeah. Wolverine, peak girl, Captain Britain. It's just great stuff. And and yeah, you s- almost spoiled us, I think, because before I don't know if you got the issues before this, which was the um, Days of Future Past yes, storyline. Yeah, that's right. I've got them now. Fucking hell, the coloring's terrible. <laughs> it's almost unreadable the way they color it. Um, <laughs> just like someone's just like taken the colouring and moved it over six inches and then stamped it down on the page. Oh, like no, that. yeah, of course, the register's gone, yeah. Uh. Yeah, and um, after that, after this was um, Cloak and Dagger, I think, were the next, with right. Michael Golden, um, which I put on the slate the other day, and someone went, oh, do you own that page? now? No, it's just a black-and-white page from, you know, but, uh, yeah, fucking hell, beautiful, absolutely yeah. beautiful. Um, yeah, it was quite, and but so short-lived. I mean, we were living in this little dream, and thinking, oh, this is brilliant. And I was actually getting... You know, before it's called anxiety, I was getting anxiety about hoping I could find the next issue in the news agents. You know, oh, after reading this one and stuff like that. The chase, well, you know, the the, the hunt. We <laughs> loved it, um, but why didn't you know? I know you. One of the questions you asked was why didn't it sell? Because it uh, we yeah. we did find some figures from top ten comics in the UK in the eighties, and Marvel stuff yeah. wasn't in the top ten. Um, right. You yeah. know, uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe it was just. It was aimed at a slightly older age group and there weren't enough of us buying it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think Captain Britain has never sold. It's weird, isn't it? It's never been successful. No. No, I remember someone, I remember the dude in the comic shop who owned the comic shop said to me, I said, well, I said, oh, they're going to cancel. Um, was it MI, whatever, what was that? MI13? MI13, yeah. MI13. I said, they're going to cancel MI13. He went, what? He says, it's our bestseller. I said, well, it's not selling worldwide, though. And he looked on the chart, and it wasn't. Yeah. But it was selling well here. You know, it's a funny one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The um, UK, we like we like Captain Britain, obviously. He's one of ours. I like, you know, I, 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 mean, I didn't get a chance to mention it, but I do like in this one that he's slightly, he's slightly the dumb Captain Britain. He's not quite, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's not quite the full shillian, as we might say, but he's he's plucky. Yeah. <laughs> he, had a, he, he looked like a fucking gladiator off that tv series didn't he he did alan he looked, davis he, draws him as huge doesn't he with his hair and everything yeah 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 he's got that floppy hair and, and the muscle groups of his shoulders and arms and stuff like that it was just very powerful looking well they just sort of played him as a big galoot you know yeah. in some of the later escalabers didn't they yeah but yeah okay i mean that's part of this dude i remember you sent me a couple of um panini comics and you said oh this will factor in was that just to say the difference between times? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, so just I'm just interested because Marvel UK is now it's now Panini titles and they're still doing reprints. Yeah. They're still repackaging yeah. reprints. Of course now it's all glossy paper and it's all the original colours, but they're still doing anthology titles and I just I just thought I would go into WH Smith and right. pick up what they had in the shelf, and I got a couple, and I sent you a couple, just for us to have a look at, and um, to see what's available for the kids, really, that's not in yeah. not in a comic shop. That's important. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I've done the same. I keep an eye on it when I go into WH Smith, and there's always sort of a Deadpool, you know, and they tend to be like comics with like 100 pages in, so there'll be sort of three or issues or something like that in them, won't they? Yeah. And there's a Deadpool, there's a Spider-Man, there was an Avengers one. I picked up the Black Widow one, which they obviously put out to tie in with the movie, which has got some reprint stuff of her original appearances when she went up against Spider-Man. It's got the Paul Cornell origin story. So that's quite good. Yeah, I was just interested in what, you know, what Panini are putting out um, because they're the modern equivalent for kids who are just wandering in and saying, "I, I I want a comic and I don't want one that's got a bit of plastic stuck on it. 
you know. Yeah, 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 I get you. Yes, sad days. But, you know, at least they're still in news agents. Yeah. That's my big worry is that we, we, we tend to sort of hide them away in comic shops, you know. And there's, there's there's not that many comic shops in London where they aren't they're even on the first floor these days, you know. Yeah. Um, you got to go downstairs, but yeah, that's that's uh, at least they're still there. We've got to have some comics in Smiths that you can pick up when you're off on your holiday or you're about to get on a train or something. Uh, yeah. Or your, if yeah. your kid's sick and you want to bring them home something to read. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, that's the classic introduction. That's where we all we yeah. all introduce these comics, long car journeys or, or sickness. Yeah, definitely. And I've had a couple of times where I've had someone said, oh, we, we, you need to get up north quick on this bit of work. And um, I've jumped in, you know, on the train at St Pancras and I thought, well, I haven't got anything to read in the train. And I've bought some to read. You know, just taking potluck at something I hadn't read before or just reread it in this comic, you know, and sat on the train up north reading a Panini comic. I don't care. Yeah. You know, it's all comics, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. is. Panini. So it's still happening. It's still there. Let's hope people are still picking them up. And um, there are a few British comics that are sneaking in there as well. So that's good. Yeah. And I'm just going to end this section by saying two quotes that I hadn't said yet from um, from Frank Miller. Allow entropy to take its course. That's his description of his comic book making. And um, graphic novel is a pretentious name. So there you go. I agree with him on that. They're comics. Good. They're comics. Exactly. Watchmen is not yeah. the most successful graphic novel of all time. It's a comic. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Did we... <laughs> I went off no, on I, one. I, I, yeah, I occasionally have a rant about that as well. Good stuff, man. Good choice. Yeah, that's a good one. And it's another one, a bit like when we did Warrior, isn't it? It's like, fucking hell, you said, oh, let's look at these two comics. And on the face of it, I dug them out of a long box that you hadn't looked at for years. And I thought, oh, that's quite interesting. I'll put them aside for a couple of weeks and I'll research them in the week leading up. But there's loads in there, isn't there? Well, it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the loads. whole subject of Marvel UK is fascinating. I know there's a guy on Facebook who's been yeah. working on a book about Marvel UK apparently for about 20 years. And it might be coming out soon. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the whole subject is fascinating. And, and you know, the way, the slightly strange way they treated this weird office you know, it must have been a tiny little office in London that had like people like Neil yeah. Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys in there. It had two, you know, two female editors who had to use male names in order to get comics work. Um, it's all a bit weird, isn't it? It's a bit strange. Fascinating it's stuff. Very interesting, and a lot of people working for very little. Yeah. And then they had a bull. Then in, that, in later years, they had a sort of bullpen arrangement in there where people would go in and draw. Get in there and, and just uh, uh, pick up a page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all these forgotten people like Bernie Jay and all these sort of people, you know. And John Freeman's a founding knowledge. He could tell you about all the, the books that were never printed and things he wrote that were drawn. And, you know, when Marvel UK went away, you know, after that big implosion, um, there was there was many a book that wasn't made, you know. Yeah. I, I, it's just fascinating. Hide four or yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. It's lovely stuff, lovely comics. Um, yeah, you know. Good stuff, man. Good. So over to you. Um, so you've been busy as always. Um, the I had to, I listened to some great episodes, man. The Life and Death of Johnny Alpha was good. Was that Rob Foster? From Rob Canada? Foster from Canada, who's a new reader, so that's great. You know, that's exactly what we want: new readers. Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting his perspective of not being able to get the prog always and buying collections, and also just like the really interesting one I found was where he was just reading through Strontium Dog, and he didn't have to worry about the sort of the sixth month or even longer that we didn't get Strontium Dog for. You know? No, there's no gap for him. He just goes straight onto the next trade, which is great. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, he didn't have the long period when Johnny Alpha was dead. Uh, but, yeah, we did that yeah. episode with him about life and death of Johnny Alpha. John Wagner finally gets to bring him back with Carlos. Um, 
So that was good. Uh, what else have we had recently? I had the um, David Grice Zenith. We did Zenith, yes. Yeah. We did some more Slain. Um, yeah. Had more Thirteenth some... Floor. We had some guy on talking about Thistlebone. That was oh, it's a wanker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a good. That was a fun episode, man. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was all right. Folk was horror in one. the bright pages of two thousand AD. So that has been up recently. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one I've never asked you about, and you, you referred to me as your secret project, is um, British Invaders. So I've been listening to a few of them. Um, I've been listening to the Avengers episodes that you did, the old school Avengers, not the Marvel Avengers. Um, how did you how did you come to do that? Because you're so busy, man. How did you keep it all up? Well, it's so British Invaders is a podcast about British uh, television, science fiction, and other genre stuff, sort of fantasy and yeah. horror and so on. And it belongs to a guy called Brian from Canada, another Canadian, who started the podcast with another bloke, and then the other bloke just sort of pod faded. He sort of disappeared. He ghosted. That's what he did. Actually, he ghosted. Uh, oh, ghosted. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. uh, and. Um, and I wrote this because there was a gap where they didn't have any episodes. And I wrote this slightly uh, tongue-in-cheek email to Brian saying, what happened to the British invasion? Did we lose? Um, <laughs> and then he wrote back and said, well, actually, I'm looking for another co-host. Would you be prepared to come on as a guest? So I went on and did Hitchhiker's oh, Guide right. to the Galaxy with him in 2008, I think. And I've been doing it ever right. since. And you talk, about, hell, you a- talk about the John yeah. Steed Avengers. We've got... You know, and it won't be long now until we're sitting down to record uh, the next three years or so of John Steed Avengers with, of course, Emma Peel, the classic, you know, right. again. Yeah. I mean, I've overused the word peak, but that is peak um, Patrick McNee, yeah, Diana Rigg. So black and white into colour. Yeah. yeah. The theme tune, uh, Mrs. Peel, when needed, the cybernauts and all that stuff. So, yeah, I do another podcast. I do a science fiction podcast that also comes out every two weeks, um, britishinvaders.com. You don't have to edit that one, though, I'm guessing. Is that right? Or No, Brian does all the editing. I, I do a lot of the research and write the outlines, and then we get together and we record two episodes at a time. And then Brian does all the editing yeah, on that. That's good, man. That's what I enjoy about your podcast is the research you do, or the one, all the ones you do, including it when you come on here. I think there's so many podcasts out there that they just decide to open the book at the start of the podcast and talk about what they see. And I'm like, that's not enough. No, you know. no. And, and you, I mean, <laughs> you know, we, you and I have talked about it before because, you know, you said it was between us, it's a bit of a cold war as we keep up in the ante on the research. It depends. When we get a yeah. real subject that we love, we just start backwards and forwards in stuff and yeah. we quite like all that. I mean, we, you know, yeah. um, you, do, you do political research for a day job as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it makes uh, Captain Britain um, versus Margaret Thatcher as this clearly comic this was. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, and any other recent purchases you you've you've enjoyed, dude? Um, did you get the did you get that book I, we were talking about the other day? It arrived eventually, didn't it? Uh, which one was that? Oh, um, is that the Dave McKean? Dave McKean Raptor. Raptor is fantastic, as you've said a few times. Um, Raptor and uh, Barry Windsor Smith's Monsters coming out in the same year feels like yeah. a real big thing for comics. Yeah, that is just fantastic, and that might be coming up on a podcast um, at some point in the next year as well. And um, yeah. the other thing I've just started reading, and I was going to post on the Awesome Comics podcast Slack about it when I've finished it, but I've been reading that. 
catalogue uh, collection of um, Bill Waterson and Calvin and Hobbes. And that oh, nice. is okay. just so lovely. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, it's great stuff. Um, what else? Obviously, Red Monsters, which was fantastic. Well, um, let me let me ask you this then. So the two books in my in my head that are the 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 winners this year would be Monsters and Raptor. Which was your favourite? I I love them both. I think Monsters is the uh, the clear twenty twenty one winner. It is just a sort of okay. p- piece okay. of work. Um, yeah. But you know, Raptor we might get more of as well. So you know, Dave McKean, what about you? Okay. What was what did you think? I don't know if it's because I read Raptor most recently. Raptor kind of just edges it maybe for me. But then again, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. you know, in terms of pieces of artwork, they are just gorgeous and um, yeah. they are lovely. Do get hold of copies of both. Uh, yeah. Go to your local bookshop and order them. Um, Agreed, man. Yeah, although, you know, I did. I ordered mine through that bookstore, I think bookstore.org site, and I don't know where they sent it first, but, you know, it's been, <laughs> it did turn up eventually. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, but, yeah, yeah loads know, of stuff um, to read as ever. Yeah, good stuff, man. Yeah, the, the the read pile is slowly going down, but right. not by much. Mine's yeah. getting bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Never goes down if you look at it. No. Right, okay. Um, good. So where can we find you, dude? Where can uh, we find your podcast and everything? Check out megacitybookclub.com uh, for the Megacity Book Club podcast every two weeks and check out britishinvaders.com for the other podcast that comes out every other two weeks, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> And a handful of dust might come back at some point as well. Oh, good. What, to do some of the spin-offs? Or? No, to do some other comics, some completely unconnected ones that we're talking about, including okay. some Dave McKean, actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, that would be an interesting point of view. Yeah. Yeah, time's changed. We'll see what's happening around that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Um, I appeared on the Wits End podcast with Shah, who's a top geezer. Um, never met him before, and it turned out to be just me and him laughing at things a lot. Um, it wasn't. It, it, I, I'm not structured anyway. He keeps trying to get me to be, you know, talks me around into subject areas. But yeah, absolute blast. So find that Wits End, W I T S, and then End um, podcast on Apple, iTunes, etc. It was a, a good, good listen, and uh, I rant a little bit. Yeah, yeah, rant a bit, and go and listen to it to find out whether Tony is in fact cancelled. <laughs> yeah, I suspect I may be, yeah. especially after that one. Yeah, um, you can. Uh, also go to patreon.com forward slash tribute press and sign up for that we're currently uh, doing a comic a month on there um, we're racing through that adam's drawing it about a um, comic publisher in the 70s that has an office above a strip club and gets attacked by satanists so that's kind of the the, the form of it at the moment which we're having a lot of fun with um it's a slice find... of life type thing yes it is yeah. autobiographical yeah, comics on, uh, <laughs> Not based on Pat Mills. Uh, keep <laughs> keep an eye out on uh, Pat Mills' blog. There's a little surprise coming on there. Um, the And you can find, and I think as well, Eamon's going, I'm not sure which day you're going, but you can find Tribute Press and myself at the Meanwhile Comic Festival the 18th and 19th of September in Coventry Cathedral. Um, you're, you're popping along. I think you and Gary are both popping along, aren't you? Uh, I'm coming on the Saturday and I shall be, uh, yeah, I shall be shunning the Tribute Press stand. <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah. But we've been cancelled. We'll be in the corner. Good. Yes. Yeah, so no, I shall be there. You. I shall be there and I shall be, hopefully, uh, I'll be masked and gowned and and uh, <laughs> spraying you with the, uh, the one of those old pesticide sprays. 
Yeah, fingers crossed it happens. I, yeah, crossed. yeah, I hope so. All, sensible, all of us sensible people are vaccinated, so we're, we're hoping it's going to be all right. Yeah. Um, and at the table, we will have Drawn Under the Influence, the new um, anthology title from the ACP Awesome Comics podcast, Drink and Draw, edited by Sarah Harris. Um, I'm in I'm in there with um, Cliff and Sarah right with a story, and uh, me and Daryl Thorpe have got a story in there. And that is just a small portion of the greatness that is in that comic. It's really good. And thanks a lot to Dap, David A. Price, over at 11 o'clock comics for giving us a lovely review the other day as soon as i get the link for that sarah's setting up a like a big cartel i think i'll let you know and you can buy a copy but there will be copies for sale at the table at meanwhile as well i'm looking forward to that when it really sounds great and i'm going to be you know slightly rude about former creators i'm going to guess that albert the mouse probably wouldn't have made it into the pages of drawn under the influence (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, or has inspired me to do a comic on my own oh okay yeah. right oh well we'll watch yeah. this space but yeah i'm looking forward to getting a copy of that because it sounds great and it's also it's benefiting um domestic abuse charities isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. so the charity is shelter um which is a domestic abuse charity that sarah also volunteers for in um her hometown so yeah good stuff thanks man and um i'll say goodbye to you now but we'll we'll pretend and we'll continue talking after this uh, bit of music thanks tony thanks mate Thank you.